Welcome to Asia New Horizons, where law enforcement practitioners and academics get together to share knowledge and ideas to shape the future of crime analysis. So I am Mark Evans, and I am currently the Deputy Chief Executive for Insights and Deployment at New Zealand Police. So that means I'm one of the seven people that reports directly to the police commissioner here, so chief constable equivalent in the UK. New Zealand Police um, has 14,000 staff, so quite large by um, UK standards. I have been on the police executive here for 10 years, actually, so I'm the longest serving member of the police executive by some distance. And I came here having been the director of analytical services for the police service in Northern Ireland in Belfast. So I worked for the RUC and PSNI. Um, and prior to that, I worked for the Northern Ireland office in a, and a few government intelligence agencies and started work um, in the UK Ministry of Defence, actually, back in 1984. So um, I've done a few projects overseas, um, done quite a lot of intelligence training. And in addition to my police role, I am a visiting professor at University College London, where I teach uh, intelligence gathering and analysis on a master's course called Countering Organised Crime and Terrorism. I think it's just about to be called Countering Violent Extremism, Organised Crime and Terrorism. So, yeah, so um, it's kind of, uh, well, I've done I've done a, a, a few other things. Um, like currently, I'm the vice president of the Australian New Zealand Society of Evidence-Based Policing. I've done a few board roles, like I've been the board member for Crime Stoppers here. So a few things around law enforcement um, as well. But but my career uh, in the last 25 years, at least, has been in policing and with intelligence, I guess, as an anchor, really, for that. Yeah. So what a career you've had. And I actually met you at the place where you um, lecture. That was the first time I met you. And I was fascinated by, I think, definitely your background and the experience that you've had, but also everything you were saying about it, because you are so knowledgeable in this area. And that leads me on to sort of my first question to you, Mark, is this is intelligence for you has probably been is probably so different wherever you go and the experience you've had within each place you've been working at. So what does intelligence mean for you and have you had to adapt to different understandings within different roles you've, you've had previously and currently? Yeah, so I um, I kind of teach intelligence, so I've. I've... I've learned to um, probably explain what we mean by intelligence to quite a lot of different audiences. And uh, for me, um, there's a range of technical definitions I think we could get hung up on. But for most people, I think intelligence is information designed for action. And I think that's what it's the action component for me that differentiates it from simply data or information or research or something you might do at a university, which I quite enjoy as well. But um, New Zealand Police um, and the police service generally doesn't, I think, pay you for interesting things. They need to be useful. And that's probably the the thing that I try and explain to people. Um, and you'd be surprised, actually, at how much commonality there is between the way intelligence works, certainly here uh, and uh in the UK, so um, New Zealand, for example, is quite familiar with the national intelligence model. We use tasking and coordination. We've got a product suite, and we've just, um, although I don't own it 
directly day to day. I'm the executive member that owns it. We've just republished our national intelligence operating model. Um, if you if you go to other parts of the <clears throat> Five Eyes community, um, it is actually pretty similar. Um, and therefore, anybody, I think, with an understanding of, of intelligence in the UK, in Australia, Canada, the US uh, and New Zealand, it, it's pretty familiar. Yeah. Um, if you go into some other fields like the military, yeah, there are some you know points of difference. But um, at the core, um, I think for me, information designed for action, it's really um, designed to ensure that um, we provide decision maker advantage. And that's a pretty easy thing to talk to, whether that decision maker is, as I teach on my university courses, you know, the president of the United States. Um, or the decision maker is an you know an area or a borough commander that's trying to deal with a local drug problem. They are a decision maker. They're trying to impact on the environment, and intelligence for me is about trying to make sure they make a better decision than they would have made, you know, without the insights provided by intelligence. And I I do tell intelligence staff, and not everybody agrees. It's a service. And I can assure you that we're going to make a decision anyway, because normally you have to. The question is, is intelligence going to shape, inform, uh, guide, <clears throat> improve the decision, you know, or not? And and that's to do with lots of things, you know, including quality, but also timeliness, presentation and, and all of those things that, frankly, um, will, will ensure intelligence has an impact or not, uh, yeah. because... Um, decision makers have a lot of things and a lot of people telling them what to do and I find myself as a decision maker these days and you know if I took every piece of advice that was given to me we would get absolutely nothing done so you kind of need to <laughs> sift these things and you're hoping that intelligence has got a you know a bit of a insight that you won't get from from anybody else yeah, yeah. that's really important you touched on quite a lot of points there and I always allow my participants to sort of explain the, you know answer the question the way they want to but I'm actually really happy that you spoke about the external yeah. pressures that uh, law enforcement face and quite sometimes they are, it can be quite overwhelming um, to achieve I guess what they want you to achieve even if the intelligence or information isn't really going that way so mm. we recently discussed I think this is touches on what you've just mentioned sort of police scrutiny um, and I well, I assume you've seen you maybe been a been a victim of of that yourself but You've seen it happen within your workplaces. So what have you seen? I mean, talking, I guess, in broad terms, police scrutiny, what does that mean for you? And examples of that that you've potentially seen wherever you are now or here uh, in the UK? Um, so I, I think um, policing as a business, as a discipline, you know, profession is under more scrutiny than I can ever remember in my professional life. And I think... Um, there's a range of reasons for that. I th I think um, there have been some significant events. I mean, um, Black Lives Matter and, and the murder of, of George Floyd, I think had an impact on policing uh, around the world. But I, I think some of it started, you know, probably 5, 10, 15 years ago when the role of the police, I think, um, started to become a, a bit less clear. And I say that, um, you know, and it's the same in New Zealand as it is in the UK. Our two main 
sources of demand are family harm and mental health call-outs. It's probably half of what we do. And, you know, some people would say that um, that's the responsibility in the main of other agencies and therefore, um, you know, police are filling a gap. I think there's some some truth in that. Equally, if we're here to protect people, life and property, then, you know, that's a legitimate role. But it's put police, I think, in a, in a, in more of a uh, service prevention rather than enforcement role. And I think there's some sort of interesting questions about that. Um, and then I think there's a whole question of, you know, evidence and the extent to which we base decisions on professional judgment or use the best evidence. And then I think public expectations have been raised. Um, there's more information shared and, and legitimately people have an interest in, you know, why and how we do things. And there are mechanisms for people um, to ask questions. And, and we have to be rightly, I don't disagree, you know, much more transparent. And I think that's put a premium on uh, leadership. I think it's put a premium on being able to um, explain and justify. And, and I would say it goes to the core of legitimacy and consent in public trust and confidence um, in policing. So, um you know the the all day pretty much really um you i as a senior executive member am dealing with i would say um questions which bear on the question of um scrutiny whether it's questions from journalists or questions from ministers about um policing or even uh, internally um needing to ensure compliance with um, good systems and, and policies. So whether it's scrutiny or whether it's legitimate oversight, I, I yeah. think uh, for me anyway, um, com compared to certainly 20 years ago, probably 10 years ago, um, there's much more scrutiny across the board really of activity. And I think it means you have to be um, better at what you do. Uh, you've got to be willing and able to explain more of what you do and one of the consequences I find of that is sharing much more information and involving the community much more in what we do so for example at the weekend so Saturday we had a, a tragic event in Christchurch on the 15th of March with a terrorist attack um, there was um, a Muslim reference group and the individuals many of them lost um, brothers sisters family members and they were set up um, as, as in response to a Royal Commission of Inquiry and they work with us, the police uh, and I own some of that role. I've, I've been the executive lead for that Royal Commission work for the last um, two years. We took that group or a representative sample I think 10 individuals to our police digital centre on Saturday so that they could understand the end-to-end -end process about how we take reports of um, concern from the public you know, and what we do with them. And the reason for that is that um, we're in the process of setting up a new system to take um, calls from the public about concerning behaviours. In the past, we would have done that as the police and told people what we were going to do. And today, frankly, um, you really have to do some call design work and listen and aim to meet um, community uh, needs and I, I'd say that's quite a good example really of mm. how the system has shifted and quite a lot of people find that quite difficult yeah. uh, but I, I've actually involved uh, I've actually quite enjoyed the 
the community engagement. We've got another major problem on a uh, program on police bias. There's an independent community panel. I'm working with them. Um, we have weekly meetings. So it's quite interesting, yeah. but quite different to the way yeah. it used to be. Yeah, you're doing a lot. There's a lot going on. Like biases is, is a massive issue sometimes mm-hmm. and a separate one uh, as well. So I was going to ask, how do you deal with it? How do you help your staff deal with this? Because mentally, that is draining. It can be really mm-hmm. draining to see mm-hmm. such a shift in your career. Um, for anyone, like, I assume you have young recruits as well that are having to deal with this on a frontline mm-hmm. basis. How do you help them deal with it being... So the director, how do you, is it advice mm. you give? Is it these programs that you provide or is it, is it just sort of get up and get on with it as what we sort of hear about within these mm. forces? I don't, I th- so I do think, uh, I, I'm one of these people that think we're recruiting some fantastic, mainly young people, but, you know, we do recruit people in their 50s as well and you know, they're very good. Um, so I'm a sort of firm believer in the youth of today um and um i think bringing smart people in is a good start and we we i think we could do more you know when we train people and there's a bit of a discussion around what initial training should look like currently because i don't i don't we don't we don't teach recruits about legitimacy and consent um we teach them something about community engagement but i think we could deepen that you know quite quite significantly but when they get out to their you know, place of work that, that what they do in the main is deal with, you know, communities. And um, my, my sense is that, um, you know, frontline staff, um, depending on the role they're in, are very good at that. And then as the organisation, you know, as you fit further up, sometimes it, it become, you know, more difficult. And um, I think people do need some help. And there's some quite good tools um, and systems and processes that you can sort of teach people. But fundamentally, um, it feels to me it's about having the right mindset and a willingness to you know, listen and engage. And if you're going to engage with the public or the, the community, um, you, you can either do that to tick a box or you can be cut, you know, you can be genuinely interested in what they think. Um, and that can be quite difficult because, you know, often the public don't really know, um, you know, lots of stuff. And we find ourselves having to um, to work quite hard to explain these things. But I think that's, a, a, you know, as much our responsibility as it is, um, you know, uh, in the public. So so we put, a, we put a lot of effort into social media, front facing website stuff, lots of community meetings. Um, and, and I just think these things quite different, at least. Um, compared, I think, to the way it used to be mm. in our desire and need to engage, I think, more openly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for that. It makes, I think there's a lot that our listeners can relate to here, a lot personally, and also maybe hearing stories from their their colleagues. I do have a question, and this is, I'm just throwing one out there. Mm. You don't have to answer this if you don't want to. But I just want to delve into a little bit about analysts. And the change mm. you've seen to the role of that, of, of an analyst, and how they are, I guess, heard within your within your force. Because here in the UK, Mark, you probably know there's been there is always police scrutiny around analysts and the treatment and how they're sort of introduced investigations, what their role is, what their role isn't. What's it like in New Zealand as an analyst? Mm. Well, we've just there's just been a, a piece of work done actually, and um, although the research is 
from 2017-18. I, I would say it would be very familiar to an analyst in the UK because it's pretty mixed, you know, in terms of impact, um, what they're taught, um, you know, what they're actually asked to do. Um, what's been interesting, I, I came to New Zealand actually to review the New Zealand police intelligence system. And uh, back in 2007-8, um, really, uh, we were the only agency that had an intelligence capability other than the intelligence agencies. Almost every government department here now has an intelligence unit. And across the system, um, I would say there are 10 times as many analysts as there used to be. Um, do I think there's been a fundamental shift in their you know, ability to influence decision makers? It doesn't necessarily look like that to me. Um, but equally, there's there's been, you know, there's been an explosion of data and information available. Um, and increasingly, um, I think decision makers are looking for that kind of support. From, from my point of view, um, you know, we've we've had a number of um, significant major events here. Uh, the earthquake in Christchurch, the 15th of March, we had a volcano exploded here, which killed a number of people. And um, and then we've had COVID. And as part of COVID, we put um, a joint intelligence group in place. And it for the first uh, 10 or 12 weeks here, I think it made a significant difference at a time that was really uh, important. So um, I, I feel that we've got some really good um, people. Um, we've refreshed, uh, again, you know, the operating model um, here. Uh, but I still think that... Um, there's significant room for analysts to have more impact, I think, on day-to-day -day policing. And I've seen it actually go a bit up and down, I have to say. I haven't seen a sort of gradual improvement or decline. It tends to go up and down. And a lot of it, I think, is to do with leadership. A lot of it is to do with decision-maker understanding. Some of it is to do with systems and, and processes. But I think we've still got a way to go in terms of... Um, where where I think analysts can legitimately add real value, but when it works, it works extremely well. And we've we've just we've just employed um, actually twenty eight new intelligence analysts here for something called our tactical response model, which is really about staff safety. And um, the feedback about their impact producing really high quality, timely products to inform um, operational. Uh, and investigative work, um, really, really positive. So even even though the I think the system could work better in some areas, um, you know, it's worked really well. Our open source intelligence team, yeah. really, really good reputation, um, including working internationally. So our yeah. drug teams, they're very good. So, you know, there, there are really good, good pockets of best practice. I'd just like to see uh, the whole system be impacted on um, by, yeah. you know, the work of analysts is in, in my experience i've recorded i've recruited some quality people in the past and we're recruiting some fantastic people yeah are there any jobs mm. going just in case anyone wants to just get <laughs> up and leave and come join you <laughs> yeah well funny enough we we over the years and over the last 10 12 years um we have uh, recruited a number of staff from the uk i have to say and all of the new zealand police and most of the government jobs actually there's a website called seek S W E K, 
and uh, pretty much all the jobs are advertised then if you sign up for an alert you can see the jobs advertised new zealand please do not sponsor people to come to new zealand and i don't yeah. think too many government agencies do for these kinds of roles so generally you have to advertise it if you can't fill it locally then you know you can you can look externally and i don't think to be fair i don't think we're recruiting anything like um the numbers that we were maybe 10 yeah. years ago uh, but um i still think uh it's probably worth having a look um, i think so if anyone's and, listening um, yeah, yeah. go new zealand yeah, I, mean, I mean it's worth think? having a look yeah okay yeah. so mark what do you think then what do you think the uh future changes what's needed in the world of policing from you um yeah i i think um you know, looking forward, that this whole question of social license, I think, is quite important. Um, so I spend a lot of time thinking about that, and I'm running projects on emergent technology um, around the use of data and information around, um, you know, bias and um, the extent to which we need systems and processes to try and mitigate that. So all of that stuff around social license, I think, is really, you know, really important. Um I think um, the extent to which we want to be evidence-based, I think, is is a sort of, you know, it's quite important. Um, and there's some conversations around um, whether, um, you know, we, we can put in place more mechanisms to be a bit more like medicine uh, or or science. And, and I'm part of a global movement around evidence-based policing, which which has made which has made some progress, I think, and. Um, you know, there's there's a there's a fair bit of interest in it. Um, we've got, I think, policing generally seems to have a bit of a leadership challenge, um, and it's it's the same here. Might be something we want to think about. Um, and then there's you know there are questions about you know what what's core business for policing. So the, there's been a strategic review in the UK of policing, which the Police Foundation published. It's a very good report, I think. Um, and actually has been the subject of quite a lot of discussion here as well. So things like um, should police investigate cybercrime and fraud? I think there's some questions about, you know, some questions about that um, and, the, and, and possibly other functions. Um, and possibly one of the most contentious bits of that report was, you know, a suggestion that, that we should have a, a certificate of professional practice or you should become... Yeah qualified and then you should maintain your certification which i which is probably a contentious you know suggestion um but one that that possibly deserves at least um you know some further explanation exploration because uh, mm -hmm. it's um it, fe it feels to me that that you know placing um looking 5 10 15 20 years in front of us is going to have to adapt um you know to a world where where maybe most crime is online and you know while there'll still be um an absolute need to police communities i think we've got we've got quite a lot to do in the virtual or online world i, I think that's a bit of a challenge I, I think the whole notion of needing to work with communities on on solutions i think is going to put a premium on different mm -hmm. sorts of skills i think uh, everything's connected so um, being able to work internationally across, you know, most things is is really important. Um, and then I I just think this whole question of police legitimacy and how do we ensure that we have the mandate to act is something that we need to think more deeply about. 
And it's certainly something that we're talking about quite a lot here in terms of what do we teach recruits? What do we teach senior leaders? uh, How do we explain this? So I think it's a, I think it's an interesting time to be in placing, um, but certainly a different, um, a different time to, to the way it was certainly 10 or 15 years ago, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of exciting things coming out from New Zealand. We'll definitely, as an academic, I'll definitely keep my eyes eyes out for, for the uh, research papers that come up. Mark, yeah. I yeah, I can't thank you enough for joining me. So thank you. No worries. Well, thank you for the conversation and um, we'll catch up again, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, yeah we will. And, um, yeah, you keep in touch. Mm-hmm. Yes, I will. Thank you so much, Mark.